Greetings and welcome. If you haven't heard of Spotify for Podcasters, it's the easiest way to create and publish your podcast. It's free. That's right. It's free to download. It has built-in tools that will allow you to record and edit your podcast from your cell phone or any smart device. Spotify for Podcasters also distributes your podcast on virtually any platform that streams podcasts like Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Apple and Google Podcasts, and much more. You can even monetize your podcast with no minimum listeners. Spotify for Podcasters is your one-stop app for podcasting. Remember, it's free. Welcome to the Trigger Warning Talk podcast. We have uncensored conversations, we exchange information, and we provide a ton of resources for all the listeners and the viewers of this podcast. We were sponsored by Anchor, but now we are sponsored by Spotify. Spotify is taking over Anchor, but everything else is the same. You know, we want to bring you some great content, some of these conversations, and let me just give you the disclaimers right off the bat. As I always do with every episode, some of these conversations that we have and some of the dialogue that you're going to hear in this particular episode, like all of our episodes, may be triggering. Hence the name Trigger Warning Talk Podcast. We're streaming on all platforms. You can watch the podcast also on Spotify, as well as our YouTube channel, which is the company's name, Penton Pending Consultant Solutions, LLC. I'm your Fire Medic CEO and your host, LP, Larry Pinton. i got a very special guest in the building, Ms. Zanetta Henry. She's a crime advocate. She has a great organization called Operation Recovery, Inc. We're going to be talking about that. As I said, let me get through all of the disclaimers. So if you're triggered at any point during this podcast, and I mean at any point during this podcast, please call 911 if you need help immediately. That's going to get you EMS, fire, police, that starts all the documentation process. If you don't have an immediate need, but you still need help, we got a bunch of other information for you. So we got websites and phone numbers for domestic violence. If you have issues with that, if you are suicidal, call 988. That number is available toll free 24 seven here in the United States. If you have issues with sexually based offenses, we offer the number for RAIN, that's Rape, Abuse, Incest National Network, and we have their website. If you have trafficking issues, we have that number also on the website. If you're dealing with substance abuse, alcohol, drugs, we provide the websites and phone numbers for Al-Anon, that's for the supporters, Alcoholics Anonymous, and of course, Narcotics Anonymous. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce Ms. Henry. Again, she founded a great nonprofit organization called Operation Recovery. They provide emotional, mental, spiritual, and financial support for parents who have lost children to death in various ways. And they also deal with crime victims also. They're a great advocacy group. We're going to talk about the story about her son who tragically lost his life to gun violence. And we're going to have some more information because you know, we cover true crime on this podcast. And at the end of this podcast, 
we're going to do as we always do. We cover a missing person case. This case comes from Mrs. LP, our true crime expert, as well as our missing person expert. And I read she gave me the information from one of our favorite organizations called the Charlie Project for a young lady named Nigel Navia Council. And I'll cover that at the end. I want to start off by welcoming our guest, Ms. Henry. How are you doing today? I am doing very well today. Today is now, a good day. Today is a great day. We're going to have this episode premiere on a very special date. This episode is going to premiere May 4th of 2023. And we'll get into why that date is so important. I want to backtrack a little bit. Miss Henry, tell us a little bit about yourself before we deep dive into this subject. I am Zanetta Henry and I am the mother of two, one of which I can hold in my arms and one of which I only can hold in my heart now. I'm married. I am originally from Waynesboro, Mississippi, now residing in Marietta, Georgia. I am now a 25-year um, educator, uh, 22 years in the classroom, and these past three years, tutoring and as well as tutoring, but just working kind of, you know, on my own, educating and pretty much being shifted into a different area of education. Those 22 years, like I said, were in the classroom, academics, you know, the uh, fifth and sixth grade is where I spent most of my time um, and teaching reading. Well, within these last three years, the area of education has shifted like different other areas of my life. Now I'm educating um, on grief. Ms. Anetta, mm -hmm. being an educator, you know, there was a story that came out today. I don't know if you saw the breaking news today. So today is March 27, 2023. There's a breaking news story that came out today in Nashville. Seven people killed at a school. Three children, three staffers, and the alleged suspect, a 28-year-old female. And according to the news reports, the information is still streaming in. Because mm -hmm. uh, I get these breaking news stories all the time. So I got it less than 10 minutes after the incident uh, happened and they neutralized the threat, as we call it in the tactical uh, emergency medicine field. She was a former student there. And apparently she had two assault rifles and a semi-automatic handgun that she had on her person when they neutralized the threat. So she was killed in the action of saving everybody that was in the school that they could. And they did a great job. They went right in, took care of the incident. And I think the whole thing took 14 minutes from start. To so I want to applaud all the first responders mm -hmm. in Nashville, the Nashville Fire Department and EMS, the teachers, all the staff and the students, because from the, uh, what the reporters are saying, the students had some active shooter training and wow. they follow apparently right to the letter. So I want to give a shout out to that particular school. It's a private school. I want to give them a big shout out because we're going to talk a little bit about not a whole lot, but we'll, we'll touch on that in a little bit. I want to kind of jump into the beginning of your story and the loss of your son. The mic is yours. Well, in um, April of 2019, my son, Dre Henry, was murdered. Um, he was murdered in Waynesboro, Mississippi, where we where we live at the time, um, which this is where I grew up. This is where um, I raised my children. This is this was home for us. Um, one Friday afternoon, I was actually just getting 
getting settled in after work and I received a very um, horrific phone call. Um, just hearing my sister's voice on the other end screaming and um, telling me something had happened to Dre, something had happened to Dre. And immediately I'm grabbing my shoes to quickly get to where he was. And as I'm asking her, okay, where is he? Where is he? Uh, she told me that they were on the way to the hospital with him. At the time, we only lived um, maybe five minutes from the hospital. So I was really close and I actually made it to the hospital before he did. Um, when they got to the hospital, he wasn't there yet. I actually made it at, to the hospital before he did. And it was like time just stood still um, with me waiting for them to to bring him in. And I, at that time, I was the only one there besides other people that were seeing the um, the doctors, you know, trying to get in the emergency. When they rolled him in, just watching them roll him in on that gurney and watching them pump, you know, attempting to pump life into him. I can't even really describe what I felt. It, it was, I, I don't, I can't even find the word. Um, and I don't know, it, it's to kind of describe somewhat of what it felt like time standing still, but time rushing all at the same time, just all over the place. Um, and it was like in an instant, I looked around after he came in, uh, people flooded the hospital. Um, my husband was actually on his way in. He's a truck driver. And he was just getting into town. Um, when he made it there, we actually had the opportunity to go in the back where he was. Um, and we were told standing in the middle of the hallway that he didn't make it. And so when we went into the room where he was, I was still able to love on him while he, he was still warm. And I was still able to just, you know, have that moment, um, which means a lot to me, to have that moment even though um, they officially said life was not in him, but I still could feel him yes. at that, at that moment. And so that, that was pretty, pretty horrific. It, it's really hard to find the words to describe what I was feeling, what I felt, um, you know, what we were going through. The person that's accused of his murder was apprehended a few days after that. Um, but at the time, I really couldn't even focus on on that. Okay. Yeah, so it, it was the, horrible. <laughs> what's the status of the case at this juncture? At this moment, the person is still um, incarcerated. Uh, there has not been a trial. There has not been anything in that area Um Due to COVID, a lot of stuff was slow, you know, really, uh, uh, I'm not going to say slow down because it was actually stopped. You know, the world was stopped. with the courts. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Everything, and, everything stopped. So that person is still incarcerated. So. And let me just say for the record, like we always do whenever there is a situation where a person has not been convicted. Uh, and or brought to trial yet. We just have to give the legal disclaimer. And this is not to say that we don't believe that he did it or anything like that. We just have to say for the record, anyone who is accused of a crime is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law here in the United States. Uh, so we just want to get that out there and we'll continue from that point. Miss Henry, I want to give you my condolences, first of all. My family also has uh, experienced 
you know, the loss of a, a cousin, a son, you know, a loved one. And this was just one person. Uh, it was my cousin, or one of my first cousins. You know, he was in his early 20s, died from a GSW gunshot wound also. Uh, and this is back in 2014. And so we, we've gone through a lot of the stuff that you all have gone through to this day. His killer or killers, we believe it's one person, uh, has not been arrested, brought to justice or anything like that. He's still out there somewhere, he or she. And so, um, you know, again, my heart goes out to you and your family. When you all realize that he's not going to be here anymore to live his life in full. Was that the catalyst for you to say, I want to do something to help other family members that have experienced crime? Or what was the catalyst for you starting Operation Recovery Inc.? Well, Operation Recovery was already um, in operation. We had just started Operation Recovery in January of 2019. Okay, We were actually um, given the assignment to to be there for mothers of wayward children that that was the assignment that we heard from from god is we are called to mothers of wayward children and so in doing that we knew that we were working to rebuild or help parents mothers fathers as well to rebuild that relationship that they may have lost with their children the children are still here physically but, you know, sometimes when, as our children grow, they grow into people sometimes that we don't recognize and that we don't know. Yes. We, we, and we lose that relationship. We don't have that, that same closeness um, for whatever reason, whether it's parents not understanding their children or children not understanding parents. But you kind of just, that relationship just is broken for many different reasons or one or two reasons. So we were called actually to just be that intercessor, to be that person to stand in the gap, to try to help parents, you know, understand where children were coming from and un children understanding where parents were coming from and just try to help rebuild that. We started a prayer line where we interceded for, um, on behalf of our children. Uh, we also offered resources to the parents that chimed into the, um, the, the line as well resources of um, how they could help their children, um, people that they could go, therapists that they could talk to, just different resources that, that parents may have needed and offering, you know, even just one-on-one -on -one coaching if that's what they needed. So we did that on the first and the third Sunday of every month. Mm -hmm. And um, in April, that's when we were catapulted into a deeper area because starting that in January, we had no idea that it was going to go this deep sure. or we were going to actually be walking this thing out in this area, you know, just personally. Um, never really thought about that. Never really, like I said, didn't anticipate it going in this direction. But in April after, um, after Dre was murdered, we knew that it was more for operation recovery it was a deeper calling for operation recovery than um just the prayer line strongly okay. believe in prayer standing on prayer 
wrapped in prayer, living a life of prayer, but we immediately knew that it, it's more that's needed. It's more that's needed. It is time to put the boots on the ground. Praying is good, but prayer, faith without action faith is without dead. works is dead. Faith without works is dead. There, we we need some action. So it was time to put the boots on the ground, and so that's when Operation Recovery was catapulted into the area of advocacy, um, in the area of providing youth with positive opportunities to help. You know, did direct them in a better or another direction because we also know and i do grab that in my heart and it may sound strange to some but hurt people hurt people and i do know that um and the mother part of me don't want to admit the mother part of me wants to fight against but what i really know and and understand to be true is that the person that is 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 accused something happened something's wrong hurt people hurt people so we have to kind of just look at it you know from that area as well so we 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 stand in the gap we intercede now in a lot of deeper areas um than just rebuilding that relationship but coaching parents through this grief journey um walking hand in heart with other parents mothers that are going through this journey as well so those are just some areas that we know we were definitely catapulted into. So Operation Recovery is 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 a support. You know, with a lot of these stories that we've seen in the past few years, the George Floyd situation, the Breonna Taylor situation, you know, just different situations, uh, Philando Castile, where these black men and women and children have been, you know, victims and have lost their lives dealing with law enforcement. And so to see someone who's right under the chief and he's he's the assistant chief come in and speak at your event i think it speaks volumes to not only the role of law enforcement but like you said it puts the human behind the shield it puts the human behind the badge law enforcement police uh fire ems we all have badges i have a badge and so I know there were times when people would see me show up on scene and I would get kind of resistance. I would get hesitation. I would get cursed out. I would get disrespected because they were hurt. They were angry. They were upset. You know, it's that five stages of grief, the denial, the anger, the bargaining, the depression, the acceptance. You know, they were in those early stages of that where, you know, anybody that had a badge can get Anybody that was in the uniform can get it, verbally, physically, all the above. And so I always tell people, you know, law enforcement has its place. If you don't have law and order, you're going to live in anarchy. Nobody wants that. This is where it's very important that law enforcement understands that your job is to serve and protect. Your job is to be part of the community, not just policing the community being part of serving and protecting the community and its citizens. Most police officers live in those neighborhoods that they patrol. Most police officers grew up in a lot of these neighborhoods, you know, especially some of the suburban and or the rural areas 
like he said, I, I grew up here. Mm-hmm. I left, I came back. And so we have to understand that it is a necessary component that the citizens that are not sworn officers and those sworn officers come together, come together to fight crime. Crime is not black on black only. It's not white on white only. Crime is about proximity. It's mm-hmm. about poverty. It's about disadvantages. It's about a whole list of things that we can talk about. Mm-hmm. And I know for your organization, one of the things that I'm impressed about when I look at the things that you all have listed on your site, and, I'm, and for those that are not watching, as I always tell people, I got to watch these interviews because sometimes you miss some of the graphics that I put up on the screen. Again, Operation Recovery's mission is to provide spiritual, emotional, mental, and financial support for grieving parents who have lost children to death by various causes, advocate for positive change and stopping violence in the community, and provide positive, non-traditional opportunities to our youth. You all have partnered with a number of different organizations. Uh, tell us about some of these organizations that you've partnered with locally and nationwide. Okay. So some of the um, partners, one of our partners is Voices of Black Mothers United, mm-hmm. who is a national organization um, that is under the, the Woodson Center of Washington, D.C. And with Voices of Black Mothers United, we work together to provide these opportunities like you look like you just saw in this um, video to bring together law enforcement with the community uh, working together to bring unity in the community um, and advocating for these parents who uh, have lost their children to homicide. Now, Operation Recovery focuses on advocating and supporting parents who have lost children in any form when it comes to death. But Voice of Black Mothers United, with in, in partnership with Voice of Black Mothers United, then we focus on um, parents who have lost their children to homicide. Um, so those are the areas that we work in to get them financial to support, to make sure that they um, know their rights, to make sure that um, they have someone there to support them in, in any way that they are possibly needing. We try to provide that. We try to provide that support. Um you know, through Voice of Black Mothers United. We've also partnered with Best Day Ever. Best Day Ever is a local um, counseling service who um, run, that is uh, the founder and the the owner, sorry, the owner and the operator of Best Day Ever is Miss Anita Norsworthy. And she uh, has that counseling service that's there in Waynesboro, uh, which is local. And they, she actually works with, um, adults, youth in, in all forms, um, you know, just counseling and, and providing that mental health, working in that mental, um, health area. Uh, we've also partnered with another local organization, uh, DAP, which is drug, um, drug awareness program, which is the founder of the drug awareness program is Rosie McCann. And she basically makes, she works with the whole family. So what she tries to do with her program or what she does, I apologize. What she does with her program is she informs the community and the families 
of the dangers of drugs, um, preventing drug awareness, and helps in that healing area of drug awareness and, and drug addictions in, the, in those areas. Um, we've also partnered with um, Mothers Against Gang Violence. That organization is here in, in Georgia. And the CEO of that organization, founder and CEO, is Takesia Shields. She works uh, very strongly in the community to provide resources to the community about um, gang violence um, and just stopping violence in, among the youth within the community. She also provides resources and connections for the families of anything any areas pretty much that the family need if families in need of housing she works to try to provide connections for these parents to you know get the housing they need if it's education resources if it's um drug awareness resources if it's you know mental health whatever area is needed she her program somewhat works all the way around to try to provide any and every resource possible and make these connections for for the family. So she works and very strongly in those areas in that um, Fulton County, Atlanta area, down in that area here in Georgia. So those are just a few that we have partnered with. Um, we work closely with the Wayne County Police Department, um, Wayne County um, Education Department as well, Department of Education. Uh, we do some uh, programs and things with them as well. I'm so glad that you are talking about this because we know networking and partnering means a whole lot. It's not always what you know, but it's always who you know. And we all have been affected by gun violence. We all have been affected by this opioid crisis and just drugs as a whole. And, and you know, I can talk about that until the cows come home from my experience as a paramedic, as a firefighter, you know, just all of these different experiences that I had back in my hometown of St. Louis, Missouri, I'm in Charlotte now. And so, you know, when we think about saving our young folks and we think about giving them options and opportunities, I want to talk about the title of this episode of this podcast. We call it thriving survivor pain, pushing purpose was Annette him. What is, Pain pushing purpose mean? Pain pushing purpose means we are taking our pain and we're allowing that pain to push us in what we have been called, anointed, born, created to do. And whatever that is for any one person or, or whoever it is, we, we try to help people to identify that purpose. What is your purpose? And then the pain that you're experiencing, this is what we talk um, with our parents about, um, mostly mothers. We, we have some fathers that chime in every now and then, um, but mostly mothers. What we explain to them is all of this pain is not for nothing. This pain can either kill us or we can take this pain and we can let this pain push us to do what we need to be doing or what we have been called and anointed and created to do. This pain can help us to fulfill our purpose here on this earth while we're here. Pain can push us to complete the task 
that we that has been set before us. And so that's what I do. As for me, um, I decided the night that my son was killed and I walked out of the hospital, I already knew my purpose. I knew my purpose was to help people. My purpose is to um, help stand in the gap for and do whatever I can to help somebody else realize if you wake up tomorrow, it's worth it. There is still light. There is still joy. There, we might have to work hard to find it, but we can still find it. We can survive this. If we're still here, we're here for a purpose. So let's find it. So the night I walked out of the hospital, I decided I would not allow my pain because it's undescribable pain. It's pain that you there are no words. You you can try to describe it, but it, it's you can't describe it. You know, yeah. people only people will understand it if they walking through it. So I decided that night that I would not allow this to take me out. As long as I'm here in this earth, when I want to give up, when I want to stop, and on those days that I don't even want to get out of bed, which are most days that I don't even want to get out of the bed, I just want to stay in the bed with my head covered, and I want to cry all day long. But then I take that pain and remember there is someone that still needs to hear my voice. They need me to pick up a phone and call someone on their behalf because they don't have the strength to do it. So I take all of my pain and instead of balling up in a corner and allowing that pain to, to stop me, I take all that pain and I let it drive me. I let it push me. I let it push me to um, be on this podcast today. Yeah. I let this the pain push me to meet every event that I can to take my baby's name across the United States and even international. I allow the pain that I feel every single day, the majority of the day, I let that pain push me to pick up a phone and call another mother who I'm pretty sure can't even breathe at that moment, but to call her and say, Hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying with you. What can I do to help you? I let that pain push me to get on the zoom call support group. The last of uh, the fourth Thursday of every month, to provide a space so that other mothers and fathers can have a safe space to just release what's on the inside with other people who understand and know what they're going through rather than trying to explain it to someone who's not walking this walk. So I let my pain push me into making sure that my baby is always remembered. To making sure that his name continues to ring in this earth as long as I have life in me. So I let my pain push my purpose. My purpose is to help others. And whenever I'm in the in that space to where I just can't help anybody else. I don't want to help nobody. I just want to feel sorry for myself. I remember that it's somebody that's worse off than me. And, and as hard as that may be sometimes, I think about. I have been given a task and given the strength to do what I need to do to help somebody else. 
So I can't allow my pain to just make me stop. This pain has to continue to push me to where I need to be. This is the Trigger Warning Talk podcast. We are sponsored by Spotify, produced by Pinson Pending Consulting Solutions, LLC. We are streaming on all major platforms. You can watch these interviews also on Spotify, the free version. I have to pay for it. Or you can go to our YouTube channel, which is Pinson Pending Consulting Solutions, LLC. We're talking with Ms. Zanetta Henry. She is the CEO of Operation Recovery Incorporated. They deal with crime victims. They advocate for victims, the rights. You know, I want to talk about the rights, the roles, the procedures, and the responsibilities. And I know when we pre-interview, we, we really talked about that in detail. What would you like the audience to know about the roles, the rights, the procedures, and the responsibilities as a parent, as a caregiver who has lost a loved one to violence? I want, um, I would like for the parents to know or the caregivers to know you have a right. Number one, you have a right to be present in that courtroom when decisions are being made that is concerning your case. You have a right to be contacted. You are supposed to be contacted when anything is going on with that case. Um, if the accused is asking for a lower bond, you have a right to be there and you have a right to say, no, I don't want this to happen. There are roles and there, there are procedures that you do have to take um, and steps that you have to take to do it. And we have to do things the right way. Uh, I know in, in anger, we really want to rush the courtrooms. We really want to rush the police. We really want to, you know, really just do some major things. But we have to remember that there's um, a proper way to do things. Law and order. Yes, law and order. We are definitely going to get further when we operate in the right order and do things the right way. Um, and that's on both sides. Yes, yes. That's on both sides. We're, we're not saying that, you know, this is only exclusive to those of us who were victimized by that. We're talking both sides, folks. Right. Go ahead, man. Exactly. Exactly. So there are there are rights and procedures. And that was one of the main things that pushed me to begin to advocate is because um, I've never been a person who has had to deal with the law in any form, really. Okay. Um, I, so I was not aware of any rights or any procedures or anything as of most people, because you never expect to have to know this. You never expect to be walking on this journey or be in this position to where you need to know. So I had no idea what was going to happen. Only because I was in a small town is, um, I'm going to say, is the reason that I possibly knew as much as I knew. Um, I don't want other parents to be like that. I want parents to know what's happening from the start. I want parents to constantly have the opportunity to be contacted to say hey this is what's happening we, we want to help here but just knowing um the police has a job to do if we know the roles and the responsibilities of the people that are in line with the homicide calls 
then that can help us to say, oh, I know this person should have contacted me, but then I'm angry with this person because I thought they did. But if we know what's what, then that'll help us not to accuse, not to, you know, just play that blame game and things like that. So we need to really know. I don't want parents to feel like I felt because I did. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know who to contact. I didn't know anything. And that frustrated me really bad because I needed somebody telling me what I should have been doing, what I couldn't. And, and I didn't have that even though it was supposed to be provided to me. And I didn't want other parents feeling like that. So that's one reason that we begin to push in, in advocacy. And I just want parents to know you have rights. You have a lot of rights. There are resources. There are resources available to homicide victims. A lot of parents don't know that. One thing, one major thing that I do encourage parents, we never expect to bury our children. Right. Um, it, it can be financially devastating as well. Yes. So if I would say to parents right now that may be listening, if you still, you have children, cover your children, get life insurance on your children. Thank you for saying cover that. Your families. I want you to put a pin in that because mm -hmm. I didn't want to interrupt you. I'm so glad you said that. Mm -hmm. Here's why. I have been talking to the cows come home about the importance of just that insurance, whether it's life insurance, whether it's medical insurance, whatever insurance that you can get, you definitely need to have that because especially in our communities, mm -hmm. alienated communities and disenfranchised communities, unfortunately, we use things like GoFundMe mm -hmm. primarily as the alternative to purchasing life insurance. Right. And these policies, you can get them as low as 10 bucks a month. Yes. Yes. The price that you pay for a Subway sandwich and a drink and a snack. Yes. You know, I have, I have been on so many interviews, not just on my own podcast, I have been interviewed by so many different entities where I talked about end of life decisions. Yes. You need to have specific people or a specific person to be the power of attorney, mm -hmm. the health power of attorney. They could be the same person. You need to understand what those things mean because in the situation like we're talking about, for example, mm -hmm. someone gets injured critically unexpectedly it could be a gunshot it could be a car accident or something like that it could be your child it could be you mm -hmm. who's going to make the decisions for you because right. you're incapacitated you're either unconscious you may be on a ventilator you just may be unconscious yeah who's going to make those decisions for you those end of life decisions if need be Who's going to make those decisions about your assets, your money, whatever it is? Right. Uh, do we pull the plug on this person? Right. What are the criterias for that? If Do they have any brain activity? Right. You know, um, 
because it's so many things that I have covered. I, I, I really want to network with you more to do like a webinar yeah. for your website to put on that where we talk about end of life care. Yes. From my perspective, because I did a whole interview about that with a woman who has a radio show in Cleveland and uh, she had lost her before her mom uh, left this earth. Peace be upon her eternal soul forevermore. We talked about that. Mm -hmm. We talked about what's a do not resuscitate order. What's right. a do not activate order. How are those constructed? What needs to happen when you call 911 and I show up? Mm -hmm. and, and we see this person is not responsive, meaning they don't have a pulse. They don't have any respirations. I'm going to instruct because I'm, I'm the lead medic. I need all my partners. Hey, we're going to start doing CPR on this person. Mm -hmm. If you come and say, oh, no, no, stop. He has a DNR. I need to see it. And until I see it and I check it out and all the eyes are dotted and the T's across, my crew is still going to be working on that on your loved one. Mm -hmm. We need to talk about those things, how they right. work. Because right. you can set up those DNRs and DNIs to be very specific. Mm -hmm. I want to test some persons, but I don't want to be intubated. Right. But I don't want any medication. I I don't want anything but palliative care. Yes. Give me some oxygen. Give me some fluid. That's pretty much it. Yes. You can set them up all kind of ways and stuff. You got palliative care. You got hospice care. You got in hospital. You got out of hospital. There's so many different things that we are not aware of, and it creates right. fights with the family. Yes. I haven't even gotten into the money for real. <laughs> you know, that's a whole nother conversation. It is about that mm -hmm. but these are reasons why we have to have these uncomfortable trigger warning conversations yes. about these things because we all have a birthday we all have a date that we're not going to be here anymore mm -hmm. we don't know when that date is you know and so i would love to talk to you more about that in and of itself but folks yeah. we've got to stop depending specifically and solely on Go fund. I agree. I appreciate that company being in business. We got to be more responsible. That's all I'm saying. And that's, that's all I'm saying. Miss mm -hmm. Henry, when you talk about procedures and responsibilities in your community where this tragedy happened, was it because it was such a small community. You didn't have the big bureaucracy and all the red tape that you would in a larger main urban community. Like if it happened in Atlanta compared to Waynesboro, is that what made it a little bit more easier to have this interaction with all the, the players in terms of the, the uh, law enforcement or the prosecutors and all of the other investigative teams? Um, I would say yes because it was a smaller um a smaller town. Mm -hmm. Um we were able to really connect and you know have those one-on-ones that were needed um and also just pushing pushing to make sure that we knew the information that we needed. Um continuing to contact, being persistent. Be, you know, in getting the information that 
that I needed. Um, like make, what? Making myself known. Um, getting information, for instance, um, when is when? What are we looking at next? Okay, if this there's an indictment. Okay. So when there's an indictment, then I'm asking the question. So what what happens next? Well, what happens next is that once we're indicted, then you know we're we're looking for we have a, a specific charge now. So now the we're talking with the DA back and forth. You know, these are things that, that parents can be doing. You you move from the police now, um, the investigators now, because early on you're talking to the investigators because the investigators are the ones who have all the, you know, information and they're digging and they're searching. But then once, you know, there's an, an, an official charge, then you, you start talking to the, the DA's office. You're talking to them because they're actually, you know, putting this case together now. And even though the investigator is still could possibly be investigating and pulling in more information, you as that parent or as the survivor, you're actually speaking with them now. So you can talk to them to see, okay, what's happening next? I need to know what do I need to do next? What do I do? And most of the time, all it is you're getting is you just sit and wait, you know, we'll contact you. But then there's times that they're so swamped or they're so busy that they're not contacting. So you pick the phone up and you keep contacting. Maybe you want to know, is there more evidence? Have you found um, something different? Is there something else that I need to know? And a lot of times when you make that call to see if there's something else, they will tell you, oh, yes, we got this you know, a few days ago, or we got this, but we hadn't had a chance to contact you about it. So okay. now you're learning more, but you have to be persistent. You know, you have to continue to, to contact and find out, you know, so what do I do next? What, what happens next? And those are the questions that I continue to ask, you know, okay. Well, you said this. So now what's next? So what's next? You know, and that, that was always my question. What's next? What happens next? What do I need to do if I need to do anything? You know, but I don't stop there um, and just take just their word for it. I'm also reading, researching, and seeking training myself to know what needs to be done as a survivor. You know, when it comes to um, court cases and different things like that. We know that there's a difference. And when I say we, I'm talking about you and I specifically. We talked about this in our pre-interview. You have justice and you have accountability. And I want us to have a real quick conversation about that. What's the difference to you? Because some people look at those things like they're synonymous with each other. And they're totally not. What's the difference between justice and accountability? For me, in my opinion, what justice is, um, in this case right here, justice would mean my son walking through my door again. Justice would mean I can wrap my arms around him. Justice would mean that he was never shot multiple times from behind. That, that would be justice. Justice would be reversing everything, taking it all back. That's not going to happen. So I don't feel in this case when it comes to uh, murder, when it comes to someone taking a life, there is no justice because you cannot give that life back. You cannot reverse 
what has been done. But you can be held accountable. The person that is responsible or the people that's responsible can be held accountable. Accountability to me means that someone is taking responsibility for what they have done, whether right or whether wrong. But someone is taking that responsibility and saying, yeah, this, this is what I have done. That's that person being accountable. But a lot of times that person, when it comes to things like this, then maybe they're not going to speak up and say, I'm guilty or I take responsibility for this. Well, that's when the law steps in place and holds someone accountable saying, I have enough evidence to make sure that you are held accountable for taking this life. You can't give this life back, but you can spend the time behind bars. You can um, serve that time according to what the law says for taking this life. It won't change it. it won't make it better. And that's my opinion. I don't care if you get a zillion years. I don't care. I don't even to the death penalty, which that's I don't agree. And I would say no. If I were asking, I had to make that decision. No, not the death penalty. What are your thoughts on the death penalty? Because it's such a controversial issue. I don't agree with the death penalty for a reason being um, my personal feelings. Death is the easy way. So no. And when I look at the death penalty and I look at a lot of different things that has happened, you do have people that are on death row that's not guilty. And then they, they're being given something or their life is being taken. I don't, I just don't agree with the death penalty. You serve that time, you sit there and you serve that time. And if it comes and you've served it and you're able to be released back into society, you're able to be released back into society. We just pray that you are um, rehabilitated. Rehabilitated. If not, then we may be, you know, you may be looking at the same circumstances, but who knows? But me myself, I don't, I don't agree with the death penalty, and I wouldn't, I would not ask that for anyone. And you know, here in the states, the the way that the justice system is set up, like you know, some countries, a fifteen year sentence is a life sentence. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Uh, we look at it minimum 20, 25 years is considered life, mm-hmm. you know, no matter what the age of the alleged perpetrator is. And so I, I'm so thankful that you're sharing your thoughts about these topics because, again, these are trigger warning conversations. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we do not want to have these discussions because it's uncomfortable. You know, we're still dealing with the trauma, post-trauma. We haven't even accepted the fact that this person is gone. Right. You know, I can go on and on and on and on and on, but I won't. When we talk about responsibilities, as the surviving parent caregiver of 
your loved one who lost their life tragically. Give me five things that you would tell any surviving parent or caregiver. Hey, from my experience going through this procedure and you're still going through the legal stuff, here's five things that you just should not do because they're not going to help. Well, dealing with the legal side of it. Um, <laughs> I call it the big five no's. In my opinion, number one is act out of your emotions when you're dealing with the <laughs> the law side of it. Okay. Because your emotions are only going to show them that you are not stable and they are not going to take you seriously because they're going to feel like you are a parent just acting out of emotions. Okay. So that's number one. Do not act out of your emotions. Number okay. two, do not stop pushing for someone to be held accountable or for, for if you believe in justice, then for justice to be served. Okay. Don't stop pushing. Don't give up. Um, and number three, I would say make the make law enforcement um, allies, not enemies. Okay. Try to understand from their point of view as well as as your own. I, I guess that probably I probably would say be open minded. Be open minded. Um when it comes to that. Hmm. I think that main one was though, don't act out of emotions. Yeah. I, I think that's going to be the main one. Don't act out of emotions. Um, and remember, and I think this will be more personal rather than dealing with the law side of it. Um, Remember that it's okay to not be okay. Take time to know yourself and feel whatever you feel. Express it. But just make sure that you are taking care of yourself. Because that's the only way you're going to be able to deal with law enforcement as well. Dealing with the law side of this thing. You have to be mentally more than anything, I think mentally able to deal with this. And if you're not mentally able, emotions are taking over and, and it'll just, it, it won't, it won't go right. Your organization focuses on those that have survived or who are the survivors of the loss of their loved one. When it comes to law enforcement being the perpetrator, the one that ended that loved one's life, does that make you kind of focus in a different light in terms of working with law enforcement if they're the ones? And we're not talking as a whole, but we're just saying those individuals like, so for example, what happened in Memphis? with Tyree Nichols, because we talked about his case on a previous episode. The Tyree Nichols case, where you had seven law enforcement officers from Memphis PD, mm -hmm. and you had three 
members of the Memphis Fire Department who were there to provide the medical care. In a situation like that, what would you say to those families, that community, and your community in terms of how do you interact with law enforcement when law enforcement was the one that's responsible, allegedly, because it still haven't been adjudicated yet, in this loss? And that is very tough. That's very tough um, because... That's hard for a people to really accept the fact or really, I guess, like I said, really accept the fact that law enforcement is is responsible for doing something like this when we know they should not be. But I, I feel like I haven't actually dealt with a situation like that just yet. I hadn't really had to advocate in those areas. But my opinion and my feelings on that now is though the law should be held, I mean, accountable, just like anyone else. They should be held accountable. There should not be any special treatment um, because the way we look at it, it's not we don't believe in defunding and tearing the, the police officers down, but we do believe in. Um, effective and um, right treatment of law enforcement. We believe in them doing their jobs effectively and doing their jobs honestly, right, in, in the right way. Not being uh, on that wrong side. I guess maybe that's the way I would, I would say it. But what I would tell those parents is yet still, number one, you cannot act out of emotions. Because the our emotions will have us, and we'll mess everything up. It'll have us acting in ways that we we won't get anywhere. So have a level head. Make sure you have support um, from people who are not connected with law enforcement. Make sure that you have the right supporters, the right spoke uh, spokesmen, the right people that are standing, you know, with you to help you. Make sure that we're not, again, acting out of emotions. But I feel like law enforcement should be held accountable just like anyone else that's, you know, that's doing these things, that's taking these lives. We see some of these breaking news stories with these big cases. Again, the George Floyds and the Breonna Taylors and the Tyree Nichols cases. What do you think about the civil suit aspect of these cases because we know that when you have the prosecutors who are in charge of pursuing the criminal charges and then you have the civil cases where there's a monetary uh, judgment that's sought. What's your view on those things? Um, as far as like the civil suits, um, is that something is that something your your organization works with in terms of hey you know you should pursue pursue both uh, to be I guess because I'm, I'm thinking a couple of different things so let me just consolidate into one does your organization advocate 
the pursuit of all levels of accountability, criminal and civil. Actually, basically, we, yeah, some sort, I guess that's the way I need to say that. Um, because we don't, we don't encourage um, either way. What we do is, what we do is provide the families with what they can do. These are your options. This is what you, we don't encourage or we don't advise either way. You know, we don't say you should sue or you should not sue. Or what we say is, if this is a route that you would like to take, these are some options. We can get you um, legal advice who can give you that legal advice okay. about what you need to do and if you have a case or not. Because we don't actually um, advise in those areas, and we don't offer legal advice. Advice, yeah. Are most municipalities nationwide? Do they have a a bureau in the prosecutor's office to help crime victims? Supposed to. Okay. Supposed to. Um, to my understanding, most do. Um. Some are effective in talking with the different um, ones. Some are not. I'm going to just say it like that. In your community, what are, what does the that bureau do? What does that look like? What services do they offer? They actually offer um, counseling, survivors, compensation, um and right off the top of my head, I can't think of really. I'm not sure. I can't even think off the top of my head exactly what else they provide. But um, they actually, like I said, they do victims compensation. They um, counseling services. Um, I think they do provide grief support groups. And again, like I said, right off the top of my head, I can. That's about all I can think about right now. Okay. You know, Miss Henry, I got so many other questions I want to ask you, but we're not going to do that because Mrs. LP will be like, look, okay, you're getting into left field. You know, we talked about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to go and we're going to wrap up this interview because I, I'm definitely going to have you come back at a later time and, uh, you know, talk some more uh, because we just started the true crime segment. Mm -hmm. And so we really want to deep dive into a lot of these conversations. And so we definitely want to have you be a collaborator and a contributor for those. And I appreciate all the work that you're doing. I want to bring up your website again on the screen. So again, for those that are not watching this podcast, you're missing some of these graphics. Um, we're going to move into our, our third segment, which is our shameless plug segment and talk about what you got coming down the pike. And I see that you have in 32 days, five hours, three, four minutes in counting, the second annual United Hearts in the Park, where registration is free. Tell us about that. Second annual United Hearts in the Park. What's that? So the second annual United Hearts in the Park is a community event. And it is a it's the second event to where we bring together the community and the community leaders to unite 
in a relaxed atmosphere, a fun atmosphere where we um, have a lot of physical activities, where we are playing trust, um, trust building games, where we are um, just interacting with each other, having teaming up the leaders with the community members to basically just um, rebuild that trust, you know, rebuild that trust and as the chief of police said, you know, for the one that we had on last year, helping the community see that there are human behind those badges, they are human beings behind those badges, and to help the leaders see that the community really needs. We also honor, and because this is in uh, honor of National Crimes Victims Rights Week, we honor the families, the survivors, as well as the victims of crime. Um, those that have lost their lives of, um, you know, for crime. So we do that. We have food, we have resources. And again, like I said, we'll have, you know, community leaders that will be throughout the park that will be just fellowshipping and um, providing resources to the community members that come out. So these are just some of the things that we do. Um, we'll have giveaways and just having fun. That, that's the main goal is to honor these victims, have fun, provide resources, and create unity. And so this is during National Crime Victims Rights Week, which is yes. April 23rd through April 29th, 2023. Again, National Crime Victims Rights Week, April 23rd through the 29th of this year. So the United Hearts in the Park event day is the last day of Crime Victims, Crime Victims Rights Week, which is April 23rd. And the event time is 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern Time, I presume? Correct. No, Central Time. Sorry. Central, Central Time. time. Okay. Mm -hmm. So 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. Correct. And that would be 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Yes. And that's going to be in Waynesboro? Waynesboro, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so in Waynesboro, Mississippi, folks. So I will have the link to this uh, registration site as well as your website in the show notes for anybody that wants to go to this event or get more information. Um, and also, your operation has, I'm sure you accept donations and different yes. things like that. Tell us how we can have people donate to your organization. Well, we do have on our website, we do have to where um, a, a link to where you can donate. We also um, have cash app to where you can donate and that's operation recovery. Um, no, the cash app is B the big, the letter B mm -hmm. the change 2019 that's the cash app and then we have zale which is the email address operation recovery okay. um so those are just some ways that you can can donate um we also look for sponsors for uh mother's spa days that's on our website as well and we also you know do survivors baskets for yes. families um you can sponsor one of those baskets as well. So those are just some ways that you can donate and we appreciate and we are 501c3. 
So therefore, you any donations are tax exemptable. So right. just be sure and let us know, you know, what you may need for that. And we can definitely provide that. And we are very, very thankful for any and all donations to help us to continue to do the work that we are doing. And that is mainly supporting these parents, supporting these parents, because we this is a journey that nobody wants to travel, but we're, you know, we're on it. So those that can help you, you never know what two dollars may do. Two dollars will help to buy some Kleenex for the survivors baskets because we cry a lot. Yes. So we we appreciate any and all donations. One final question. If you could write a letter or an email to your younger self, what would you say? An email to my younger self, I would definitely tell my younger self to cherish every single moment. Every single moment with the loved ones that I have at that moment. Don't take anything for granted. Definitely don't take the next moment for granted. Live, laugh, and enjoy life. That's what I would tell my younger self. I love it. I love it. Miss Henry, you are such a blessing to so many people. Again, from my family to yours, our condolences. You know, Thank I want you. you to know that I'm in that foxhole with you. Thank so you. If you need me to show up for something, hey, just reach out. Whether it's, you know, stop the bleed training. I just got my BLS instructor certification through the American Heart Association. I'm getting ready to get some more through the Red Cross and some other organizations. So I can teach CPR classes, AD, choking, all kind of stuff officially and give out the cards. Um, as well as talking about some of these things from the first responder perspective, like the assistant chief is talking about, mm -hmm. you know, talking about men's mental health, talking about options and opportunities for our young folks. So I do a lot that I'm, well, I'm starting to do more with STEM education mm -hmm. because we know our young folks need jobs. They need careers. They need to get the bag. Right. You want them to get the bag legally, like I used to tell my kids. Yes. I don't care what you do, as long as every dollar you make is a legal dollar, I'm good. You'll right. never have a problem out of me. Not one. You know. So we want to encourage them to go all the way with their education. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes, and sometimes it just depends on circumstances and situations. Right. That. They may not choose to go that route to get a four-year degree, postgraduate degree, two-year degree. There's so many different things that they can do in STEM or STEAM because I add the A in it for the arts. Mm -hmm. And so I talk about that a lot with young folks and what other options that they can go into when it comes to that. So you and I are going to be talking a lot. Yes, definitely. I want to thank you so much. So, so much, Ms. Henry, for joining us on the Trigger Warning Talk podcast. You have given a wealth of information 
that I throw into the generational wealth basket. I'm going to show you something real quick. I got to add you to my superhero wall of fame. <sighs> I got this plaque. I got this plaque from Mrs. LP. It has the EMS Star Life on it, and it says, mm -hmm. "Not all superheroes wear capes." You know what my definition of a superhero is, Miss Henry? What's that? It's not a Marvel comic person, right? Not a like a Iron Man. It's not a DC comic mm -hmm. person like a Batman or a Superman. It's an ordinary person like you and I doing some extraordinary things under some extraordinary circumstances, unfortunately. Yeah. Awesome. Knowing that you have your humanity at the forefront of your mind. Yes. The work that you're doing helps us get back to that humanity. If it lessens one life from being taken by gun violence or any act of violence. That's a superhero in my book. Yes. So you're on our wall of fame. Thank you. And I want you to continue to be blessed. And I want you to continue to be a blessing to those that need your information, your help, and your organization. Because we're going to be partnering with you on those things. I want to jump into our missing person case. Uh, it's from the Charlie Project. And this case is about a young lady who's been missing since 2013. Her name is Nigel Navia Kenzo. I hope I'm not jacking up her middle name. So forgive me for that. Uh, this comes from the charlieproject.org. So we'll post this on there. A real short uh, description on her case. So. She's been missing since September the 1st of 2013, missing from Philly, which is Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, because we got a worldwide audience. Uh, classification, missing sex female, race black, born, uh, she was born August 23rd of 93, so she's 29. She was 20 years of age when this happened. Her height and weight, 5'4 to 5'7, 140 to 145 pounds. Some distinguishing characteristics, Black female or African-American female, black hair, brown eyes. Her ears appear. She has multiple tats on both arms, both hands, both legs, her chest, and both sides of her neck, including the heart on one forearm, a butterfly on the side of, on one side of her neck, a name with hearts, squiggles, and a star on the other side of her neck, a name on one side of her upper chest, a vine with leaves and the letter S as in Sam on her hand and other tats. Photos of some of her tats are posted with this case summary. She had braces on her teeth at the time of her disappearance and her hair was very short. And if you look at these pictures, and again, I'll post a link to this case, you'll see all the pictures of her short hair and some of the tats that I just named. And the details of her disappearance are very short. She was last seen in the 6200 block of Lindbergh Boulevard in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on September 1 of 2013. She left the house without her infant son and has never been heard from again. Few details are available in the case. If you have any information about Ms. Council's whereabouts, good, bad, ugly, or indifferent, and I mean any information, contact the Philadelphia Police Department at 215-686-31. Again, if you have any information, 
good, bad, ugly, or indifferent about Ms. Council's whereabouts, contact the Philly PD at 215-686-3183. There's also three other links that are in this charlieproject.org case file, nameless, missing persons, and Niger Council's Facebook page. So her family created a Facebook page for her. I will post this link in the show notes as well as the link to Operation Recovery Incorporated so you can donate, you can get the calendar for the events, you can find out more information and contact Ms. Henry about anything about crime victims or what you can do to network and partner with her organization. That's it, folks. Here's another one for the books. And as a special surprise, now today is March 27, 2023. This episode, like every episode we air, comes out every Thursday. This particular episode is going to air May 4th, 2023. Will you tell us why that date is significant, Ms. Henry? May 4th, 2023 will be my son Dre's 27th birthday. He was born May 4th, 1996. Oh, that is super special. So special. Mm-hmm. LP loves the kids, even the grown-ups. <laughs> yes. So... Let me go ahead and, and close this out before I get all choked up and stuff. Well, thank you. I want to say a special thank you so much, you and Mrs. LP, for allowing me this opportunity to share my baby, to share our organization, to share what we do with you and your amazing audience. So thank you so much for this opportunity. And we do look forward to partnering and more, working together more. Absolutely. As we always say at the end, live in awareness, don't live in fear. Keep your head on the swivel. Situational awareness is important. Take a first aid CPR, AD class, learn how to help somebody that's choking. Also, make sure that you do a stop the bleed class. We offer those also. We want you to be a by-doer instead of being a bystander. Yes. And the reason is because Wherever you are, you could be at a shopping mall, you could be at a house of worship, a church, a school like what we saw happen today in Nashville at that private school. Anything can happen. When it comes to trauma, anybody can get it and anybody can give it. We want you to learn how to be an immediate responder until somebody like myself, even though I'm retired, a first responder shows up and can continue and take over patient care. For the Trigger One and Talk podcast and Miss Henry and Operation Recovery Incorporated, peace and blessings be upon you all forevermore. LP out.